This is Real Estate Rookie episode 330. And I figured out right away that he just needed help keeping everything organized in his mind because he's got so many projects going on. It's like when you're project managing and you don't have systems going up. And so I just started like recording as much as I could in information, recording like where they're at in the in the construction process, what they need to do, keep all the tasks organized. So that way he's on the road calling me, hey, run through the priorities right now. So that was in the beginning, like where the value was and then just continuing to organize from that um, so that we could be more effective and efficient. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories that you really need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, if I look a little bit different, I'm actually sitting in a hotel room. Um, I've been here since Sunday, and I didn't even, I didn't even tell you this yet, Ash, but um, uh, there's this idea called a think week that Bill Gates used to do where he'd basically like go into a, a cabin in the woods somewhere and like lock himself away for a week and just read a bunch of stuff about whatever's like pressing in his business. So I've been trying that out. I've been been here since Sunday. I leave uh, leave on Friday. So really just deep diving a lot of different parts of our business. And it's been incredibly helpful to have like a week with nothing. So are you kind of like shutting out everything else, like your normal daily activities, like you are actually on vacation? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I literally, I mean, outside of the podcast, I really haven't had any meetings or calls this week at all. And uh, I even like deleted social media from my phone just so I could like really be focused in. And it's been, it's been an incredibly productive week. So that's why you haven't responded to the 5,000 memes and reels I send you? <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but today we have an incredible guest on today. One of my best friends that lives across the country from me, Serena Norris. So she is coming on today as an expert in systems and processes. And mostly we're really going to focus on project management of a rehab. So if you are doing any kind of rehab in a project, whether it's for a a burr, you're going to keep it as a rental property, or it's going to be a house flip, or even it's a short-term rental that maybe you want to furnish, we are going to go through systems and processes you should have in place, including the checklist, the templates, and the software. Yeah. Serena is just a wealth of knowledge, guys. And there's some episodes where she's like, you're going to have to go to and re-listen multiple times just to really soak up all the knowledge. And this is one of those episodes. So like you guys are going to get so much from the next, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes, however long this conversation is with Serena. Yes. And get your pen and paper ready because at towards the end, she goes through every template you should be creating to run your your rehab projects. And I, I think that is so informational. Every time I talk to her, about real estate, I learned something new. <laughs> learned something like, new. I yeah. need to be doing this. So uh, yeah. this was a, a great opportunity for us to get her on. She also works alongside Nate Robbins, who was on episode 326. So they kind of uh, coexist together is making these uh, flips happen that they've been working on. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. 
Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Serena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about life before real estate. Oh, life before real estate. Um, So I actually went to college for graphic design, marketing, and branding. Uh, And then I did that for a few years in Beverly Hills for a really high-end menswear company on Rodeo Drive. And uh, after a few years there, I was in my early 20s and I just I just realized that I wanted to work for myself, um, but I didn't want a freelance graphic design um, and I didn't know yet what I wanted to do. Um, I The only thing holding me in L.A. was I had a, a country music classic rock band that I was in, but I decided to um, move to Hawaii just for like a couple months and it ended up being like a year and a half. And when I was out there, I had a friend that um, made me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he kind of plugged in my plugged in my ear about buying a duplex and house hacking and um, before house hacking was going to term. And I, I started really thinking about um, my childhood and, and my interest in real estate in general. Um, and that's when, that's when I really just started thinking, I was like, literally obsessed with anything houses like any shows remodel shows hgtv um and my thinking about it like it just runs in my family like my dad was a general contractor my stepdad was a general contractor obviously my mom had a type um my grandpa was a general (laughs) contractor my other grandpa was an architect and like ever since i was little I was in and out of remodels from the time I could walk because that's all my dad did. And um, we'd consult on like floor plans and um, and like even like Sunday mornings, we'd open up the newspaper and there'd be like 
floor plan of the week and and I would he'd dissect it for me and tell me like why the bathrooms all have to be on one side of the house and this and whatever. And so um I then was like, oh, when I was little, I used to draw floor plans for fun. And uh I used to ride on my bike all through the neighborhoods. And anytime I saw a house for sale, I'd always pick up all the flyers and I'd go home and I'd spread them out and I'd literally comp them without even comping them and trying to figure out like why one was worth more than the other. And um I was like, I lived in like the poor neighborhood behind like a really, really nice neighborhood. Like it was the one of the first street of dreams. And so all the houses were really awesome, which is probably why I wanted to uh look at the flyers. But um and then like even if there was an open house, like I was like a kid and I'd like put my bike to the side of the road and walk in. They're like, what is this kid doing in here? So I just realized like I had an interest in real estate and that it fit the how I wanted to make, you know, I had the opportunity of like making passive income, working for myself, um, being self-employed. And um, so I just was like, at this point, I actually don't know anyone else in construction or real estate. Um, my dad had retired and um, and my grandparents had passed. So I was, I just like, okay, I'm going to go online, get my license and move back to Washington where I know people and kind of start from there. And so literally three days after I moved back, I was at my cousin's wedding and I met my mentor, Tarl Yarber. Maybe you guys have heard of him. Um, and uh, he was, I actually sat across from him at the rehearsal dinner. And so it's kind of like one of those moments where like right time, right place. And he was talking about how he flips houses. And and I started getting like really excited because I was like, I don't know anyone who flips houses. And here's this guy like right in front of me. This is what I want to do. And um, so I I played it cool for a while, like for a couple days, the wedding, his destination wedding. And uh, and then right as he was about to leave, I was like, hold on, hold on. I was like, can I get your contact info? And he's like, yeah, what's up? Um, and I, I was like, uh, I'm going to work for you. When can we meet next week? And so we ended up meeting next week at a Starbucks and I was telling him what I want to do. I was like, Hey, I got, I'm not working. I'm like, I can do this full time with you. Um, whatever you need. And so I just started assisting him because at this, that point he was flipping like 20 to 25 houses at a time, just him. Um, and, uh, and so, um, that was a lot. Um, he was like, you know what? I actually need some help. And uh, he really did. So I jumped in and just started helping with with everything. A lot of it was like choosing the finishes at first because he was really not, you know, design oriented. And then um, and then we pretty much like had no systems in place. Like we were writing scope of works on Word documents and um and really Wait, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean, like you can, but um, like, and I mean, I mean, like not word doc, like, yeah, I know not like pages mean. on a word. I'm talking about one page word doc for a whole house remodel. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and the thing was, is that because at that point in the market, like it wasn't, um, contractors weren't really busy. And so he would leverage the contractor and the agent that was going to list the house and had them kind of work together. He trusted both of them and that ended up working for him. But as he got busier and with more projects going on and then how contractors were getting more busy with as the market was getting, um, 
there was more demand for them, like they weren't going to take the time to go and play in the house. Like you yeah, need to tell them. You got to, you got to do that legwork for them. Right. Yeah. Um, Serena, I, 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 this is so, so much good information, but I just want to pause for a second because you, there's so much in this story, uh, that we, we got to circle back to. So I don't know how many times you and I have talked and I, I never knew that you were in a, in a country rock band. So that's something we got to, we got to talk about that, uh, offline a little bit, but, um, you know, we, we also interviewed Nate Robbins. Um, I can't remember which episode he was, but if you guys just go back up 326, all right. So you guys go back four episodes, you'll, you hear Nate's episode and, um, you know, you, Nate and Tarl, you know, this, you know, trifecta that kind of manages this massive flipping business, uh, and now events and all these other things together. But it all started by these just kind of chance interactions. Um, if you guys go back to Nate's episode, Nate was working in a bank and Taro walked in and it was through that conversation that kind of led to something. You and Taro sat across from each other at a rehearsal dinner and, you know, the, the relationship kind of grew from there. The, the reason I bring that up is because I think for a lot of our rookies that are listening, you might oftentimes or every once in a while also find yourself in a position where you might be sitting across from someone that could potentially change your life, but you have to have the courage to take that opportunity when it's presented to you. Like, Sarah, you very much could have had that conversation with Taro, you know, let that weekend pass and then never said anything to the guy. But you said right before you walked off, hey, 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 I'm going to work for you. Let's figure this whole thing out. And I think that's the level of, of courage that it takes. So my point to my rookies, if you're listening, when that opportunity presents itself, you've got to have the courage to take it because it could pass you by. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I also want to note, like I came from a place of like, I'll just jump in. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any more work for you. Like, wh- what can I do today that will just alleviate any stress for you? Because a lot of times um, people would come to us once we were established and was like, Hey, like, you know, is there a position for me or what can I do? And da, da, da. And I was like, if I have to think about this that hard, like you're actually adding work for me. Um, I'm not ready to hire anyone. And so, um, it's like when you do find a mentor and we, we can touch on this a little bit later, um, of some advice on uh, getting started, but, um, let them, let them know that like you're here and, and really be assertive and, and going, and intuitive, like what they need, and then try to fill that as soon as possible, so they can see the value that you're going to give them, so they can in- that they want to invest in you. And what was that for Taro? And how did you figure that out with him? Was it just picking up on things at the conversation at the wedding? Well, it, I think it started in our conversations, and um, and then I went. We met at a Starbucks, but then we went and started walking properties. And I figured out right away that he just needed help keeping everything organized in his mind. Because he's got so many projects going on. It's like when you're project managing and you don't have systems going up, you're really flying by the seat of your pants. And you're, and when you don't have other team members, you tend to keep all of the information in your head and not put it down. Well, now you're adding the second person that needs to have information. And so I just started, uh, like recording as much as I could in information and started organizing that for him. Um, and he would call me throughout every day and say, all right, run through what I need to do. So I was just like this sounding board where I was like at the computer uh, doing like ta- some tasks that he needed, right? Like started analyzing properties. Like I didn't even have my license. I didn't even have access to the MLS. So I'm literally analyzing through the Zillow and whatever the best I can. Um, and at least giving him like sending him some sniff tests on deals. But I would be 
recording like where they're at in the in the construction process, what they need to do, keep all the tasks organized. So that way he's on the road calling me, hey, run through the priorities right now. So that was in the beginning, like where the value was and then just continuing to organize from that um, so that we could be more f- effective and efficient. One thing that, that that makes me think of, Serena, we, we recently had Mike Michalowicz on the podcast as well. Um, gosh, guys, I should be better with our episode numbers. But anyway, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. But uh, Mike came on and he talked about his book, Clockwork. And, you know, one of my one of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years, but it kind of ties into what Serena's talking about right now. She, she said that Tara was managing, you know, 20 plus flips by himself, which is insane. But when you are by yourself, you don't have to systematize everything because like you said, it's all in your mind. But the second you want to bring somebody on, now you've got to go through this pain of taking all this tribal knowledge that you have and trying to download it into this new person. So for all of our rookies that are listening, and believe me, I made the same mistake in my business as well. Um, the, 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 the lesson for all of our rookies that are listening is that even if you just have one property, if your plan is to scale up and to buy more, focus on those systems and processes on day one because it's so much easier to build out SOPs. It's so much easier to get your processes in place when you have one property than when you have 10 or 20 or 30 or 50. Absolutely. And when you get to that <laughs> that uh, amount of properties, all of a sudden you're like, I need someone now. And then you have to pause and then your projects delay and, um, and then the training process. And so I honestly, like when I met my biggest things, uh, that I tell like new investors is, is just start recording information and it like the whole systems and processes label can sound really scary and it's like super complex, but keep in mind, like the best systems are super simple to use, right? Like one of the first systems that I put in place, uh, for fixated. Uh, our company was um, was somewhere where we could all access the, the lockbox codes. <laughs> and, like it sounds so simple, but it I would show up to a property and then all of a sudden the lockbox code had changed and I'm trying to call Tarl and then he's not answering because he has a meeting and I'm just sitting there for an hour, right? And it's just like such a time waste. Or same thing for him. And so I was like, I'm going to find a centralized place online. So Google Sheets, Smart Sheets, whatever it is where we can put the address, the lockbox codes, the entity names, and who's driving it that week. Like that was one of the first systems we ever made and it saved everyone so much time. And we just elaborated from there. So I'm really big on centralized information um, and start that from day one. I I hate doing something tw- twice. Um, and so if you find yourself like keep trying to look up information, it's taking you a long time, then that's your cue that you need to put a system in place. Or relying on someone else to give you that information and via text or whatever, you know, text messages go through so fast that something, you know, Tarl told you last week as to what the code box is having to go through back text, text messages, scrolling, looking for that piece of information. Then we added location of lockbox because that was a thing too. It was like, <laughs> yeah. cool, lockbox, one, two, three, four. But I'm like walking around the whole house and it's like on the neighbor's fence on the right side. I like behind the bush. I, you know, so um, yeah, like I said, really simple system. It saves a lot of time and time's money. So once you started kind of putting this together for Tarl, what was your actual position with him? What did you bring to the team? And what does your role kind of look like now? And how long have you actually been doing this? Yeah. So I started with Tarl uh, back April 2015. Um, so over eight years ago. And um, at that point, it was really like 
just assisting him in, in anything he needed for the projects, learning, um, biting off more and more as I was learning. And then I became an agent. Um, and so then I could help him analyze deals better um, by using the MLS. And um, I also split my time at that point, actually becoming an agent full time and then also helping him. Um, then I would put uh, I started putting finished packages together so with the design um, and the market increasing in demand and uh, housing prices increasing and doing a little bit more higher end stuff like we needed to be much better at picking the design and the finishes and the floor plans and so um, I took over making the design packages and then also driving the properties once a week um, and reporting back anything uh, for him coordinating some of the finished stuff like cabinet people and um and uh that's kind of where it started um and then as it evolved um i started taking on some of the project management and then over the years i just i pretty much ended where i've taken over all of the pro uh the project management managing all the contractors making the scope of work um managing our coordinator uh and material orders and just pretty much getting the property from A to Z. Um, I'd also, uh, I confirm the underwriting cause I'm the, I'm the part of the team that has to get the property from acquisition disposition and make the business plan work. Um, and so I'd sign off on the underwriting for that cause I was the one closest to the numbers, you know, construction costs are constantly changing. And I was the one that knew that most. So, um, Nate would, send me over the, the, the projects and his underwriting and I would uh, do the stamp of approval. So then we would go into um, construction. Uh, and then, I, uh, then I'd then i list them on the back end and disposition and um, get them sold so we can make some money. Uh, I was just going to say, Serena, so you, you mentioned, you're, you're throwing some phrases around. I just want to break them down for, for our audience here. Um, define acquisition and disposition for folks that aren't super familiar with those phrases. Yeah. Acquisition, uh, buying the property, um, and then disposition selling the property. Um, so, uh, we would do mainly fix and flips. We've, we've done probably a quarter of the deals that we've done, um, together are burrs. Um, so, you know, we'd buy them, we'd rehab them, then we'd rent them out and refinance. So our disposition in quotes would be that we are now renting them out, um, and turning them over to a property property manager. Um, but yeah, acquisition would be sourcing the deal, uh, running the numbers, making sure it makes sense, which is underwriting, um, and, uh, and then acquiring it and putting it in our, in our name. So I want to go further more into your project management role, such as, you know, how you're estimating rehabs, how you're hiring contractors, how you're managing the contractors, how you're managing the rehab. So let's just start with the estimation and deciding what materials you're going to use and kind of walk us through what is the best process that you have put together for this. If I can jump in before you answer that, Serena, I just want to let all of our rookies know, like uh, Ashley, Serena and I spent a day together, maybe that was like a little over a year ago. And uh, we got to walk with Serena through a few of her projects. And Serena is like a 
like a savant, like a encyclopedia of project management for flipping houses. Like I've, you know, I, I love James Daynard and I feel like you and James, like when it comes to like managing a rehab or like neck and neck with each other. So Except you guys Serena's are you, process, that is like, wow, that's like the most complicated. <laughs> if you like see like their, the difference of their like templates and worksheets and actual like you know, computer screen, Serena's is yeah. way more detailed than <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think even for me, Serena, like before we even get into that piece, like I, I feel like people can sometimes feel overwhelmed, especially if this is your first time doing this. Like, so if we can even just start there first, like how do you, I've got this old beat up house, my first time doing this. How do I even take that into like, how do I how do I not get overwhelmed, I guess, by by looking at the the start of this big project? Yeah. The way that I the first thing that comes to mind with that, um, putting myself in their shoes is is rely on like work backwards. Start start with the comps. The com- comps are king. Like you have an example. So the comparable houses that you need um to achieve your after remodel value. Um, that's what you're going to reference in a map of what to do with that property. Uh, and so, um, when you are in the pl- planning starts during acquisitions, right? Cause you have to think, okay, what's the strategy for this deal? Um, am, am I just putting like new carpet in like, and I can sell it that way and I will, and that's, what makes me a good deal? Or are we going all the way down to the studs, putting in all new electrical plumbing, whatever? It's what value do I need that project or that property to get to in order to make sense for my deal? Uh, and so um, if you're feeling overwhelmed with like the amount of rehab, then maybe that's not the project you start with. But if you're like, okay, I see the finished product of what it needs to be. And now the house is in this state right now. What's the difference in that? Well, that's your scope of work. And then anything that you need to fix to make it sellable. Um, and so, yeah, comps are king. Um, a lot of people will buy houses and they're like, I want to make it so cute. I want to make it like HGTV. I want to, you know, they end up like overdoing it. And it's like, you don't have to. Don't get emotional. Don't get attached. Um, you don't worry. There's going to be houses where you can get super excited about as you grow your business and you um, invest more capital and like do higher end deals if that's what you want to do. Um, but today, like this is still a business. Make sure that you're not um, investing too much in it. So that's my answer. Would be like just contra king. Always rely on on those for your initial direction. Now you're using a lot of the same materials for each flip. How are you tracking this? Um, how are you, you know, deciding as to what material, you know, what toilet you're going to use or what paint color you're going to use? So you, you kind of talked about looking at comps, but once you've decided what your ARV is, your after repair value, what's like the next step for you to actually build that scope of work to build that budget? Do you have you know, information that you're pulling from? How are you knowing what estimates are going to be? All of that. What's your best advice for a rookie on how to do that? Yeah. So um, uh, I would say like, so building out a scope of work really like the way that we structure it is um, we're going to go, we have everything like exterior, interior, um, and um, we just label out a lot of it like materials and uh, labor for some of the things, but also um, 
honestly, if you're just starting out and you really just don't even know where to start, you're like that. The fascia looks like it's bad, but I don't know. Um, one of Wait, the can things you that we explain what fascia is fascia. for anyone Sorry. that might not know. I mean, that is like, um, that's like one thing like, right there that you know it was a long time before I even knew what that was. <laughs> that's true. Part of the siding. If you see like part of the siding underneath the roof side of the house, um, like it looks like it's rotting a little bit. Um, but you're like, I don't know. Like, do I? Is it okay if I just paint it? Like, is it? Do I have to replace it? Like, I don't know. Um, honestly, one of the things that we used to do when we weren't um, as knowledgeable about construction would we'd hire a home inspector. Yeah, it'll cost us a couple hundred bucks, um, but uh, we would ask them, "Hey, I don't need a report. Can you just walk it with me, and I'll make all the notes, just so maybe they'll give you like you know a half price or something because they don't have to spend time making a report and." go through with them and then they'll point out like all of the the defects of the house like this you're, tell them like your intention with this house i need to fix it up to be like this can you help me identify things that i must fix for this house and then um that should cover then some of the like more um structural items um where then you can look at the comps and then decide for the finish level and the design items, right? If all of your comps have quartz or granite or um, you know stone countertops, and that's the that's the level of finish you need to get to to get the value that you need for the deal, then you're going to put it in. Um, that's what you have to put in. Um, the other thing is walking with a bunch of contractors and having them um, give you a line item estimate, and that's also going to just give you more and more information, ask questions. Contractors love to talk about construction. So <laughs> you're walking <laughs> and they love to, you know, show you that they know what they're talking about. So um, if you walk with them and go, uh, and tr trust me, you don't need to know anything, know everything. I didn't know everything, like by no means, like even though my dad was a contractor, like, you know, I didn't know a lot about construction. I didn't know what fascia <laughs> Bent either, right? Um, but I'd walk with them, and a lot of times they're like, "Well, you know, this needs fixing," and I was like, "Oh, it does," in my head. And um, and I was, <laughs> I'm like, they're like, "What do you want me to do with this?" And I go, "Well, what would you do?" <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd answer, and then they'd give me a few options because they love to talk about what they love, to, you know, they love to hear themselves talk. So I'm like, and then I go, "Okay, what's the most, what's the most cost effective of those?" And they'd be like, "This is it going to look okay?" Yeah, that's what we're going to do then. Right. So like uh, contractors will be your friend um, for sure. Uh, and also like hiring the home inspectors um, or going to meetups, creating relationships with other investors. Maybe you trade off. Hey, I'll go walk your properties once a week do reports for you, take pictures for you. If maybe you can just walk a couple of projects like for me and, um, and help me build a scope of work or something, right? Like our investor community we found in Seattle was so supportive. I know that's not everywhere in, in the U S but, um, we know like how Harvard world it is out there, especially to learn and, and no one got to where they were without the help of someone. And so um, there are people out there that, that are willing to help you um, and uh, want to see you succeed. So um, so getting that information and, and like, how do I even build a scope of work? Um, that's that's going to be your starting point. Going back to like the technical side of it is we used to, we started with Excel or I guess we're duck and then Excel. And then we moved up to Smartsheets. Um, 
And from the first scope of work that you create, have that be your template. Um, start a template from day one, right? So we're going back to that whole like, don't have the information in your head and keep it there or repeat the wheel over and over again. If you make a scope of work, use that as the foundation for a template and just continue to build onto that. Uh, so that way, when you go to make another scope of work, you're not starting from zero. You're going to save a lot of time. The way that we ended up figuring it out was that we wanted to start with a template scope of work on anything that we would ever, that we've ever done on a project, anything we could ever do with a project, even like removing a car, removing an RV, like, you know, whatever it was, we made a massive list of whatever um, and built on it. Don't get me wrong. We didn't start that from day one. We built on it as we were doing more projects. So that way we could just take that list and then delete what we don't need from any new project. So we didn't miss things. And the reason why we started doing that, which was years later, by the way, uh, was because I can't tell you how many times I forgot to have the contractor put in a dryer vent. (laughs) (laughs) And like, so a dryer vent is like, you know, where the dryer exhausts to the outside. And we don't really put in um, a washer and dryer into our flips. Like we have the buyers buy them, but we at least put the hookups, obviously, but a lot of times the dryer vent, like that actually goes in the wall, but you don't think about it until the end of the project, really. And so, um, so what'd you guys have to do? You, like, like cut the drywall? We'd have to cut in sheetrock. Yeah. <laughs> we'd have to cut in drywall and put it in. And I can't tell you, like, when you, I, mm, three or four times and it's at the end of the project, you know, and, um, or it came up in inspection. There's no dryer yeah. vent. We're like, oh my God. Oh, and then we look like right. idiots to the buyers, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, but, but mistakes sometimes are like the best teachers, right? Like we, we had a similar issue where we rehabbed a home and, um, we are, our, our crew didn't put a P trap into like the, the drain in the, in the shower. And it was causing the smell to come back up out of the sewage. And we were like, what the heck is going on? And we had to send all these plumbers. And one plumber finally found the issue that it was a P trap. So now we, now we make sure like anytime we're doing a flip, we got, did you put the P trap in there? You know, (laughs) but it's those kind of experiences that that teach you that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I bet the, uh, I bet the plumbers go, well, die, put in a P trap. And my answer to that is I never assume, never (laughs) assume. Also the biggest tip here, never assume that something is going to done. Always over communicate. Even if it mm-hmm. takes off your contractors, you let them know. I never assume. I just want to communicate with you. Um, and so, but yeah, that's, that's how we started that process. What the scope of work is like, is we just started missing small things. And it's like, I'd rather start with something big and then delete what we don't need. Um, and that would make creating a scope of work so much faster too. For us. I want to tie the that into process. how you were talking about, you know, getting a friend or another contractor to walk with you and kind of help you out, build that scope of work. And I think one really big thing is don't rely on that person to build the scope of work, go and do it yourself and have them look at it and see if there was anything you missed as a second set of eyes. Don't ask a friend from a meetup or somebody you met to help you on it and be like, can you build the whole scope of work? I have nothing, have something prepared for them to present to them, to look through. So it doesn't take up a ton of their time. They can just maybe point out something you missed, like a dryer vent and 
We had a project where a contractor used the old wax seal on the old toilet, put in a brand new toilet, put in brand new tile floor, but used the old wax seal. And we had the same thing. The smell was coming up and it was because it's the old wax seal in there. Yeah. The other thing for a scope of work that's really, really important is um, that we learned the hard way is that uh, be very specific in your scope of work. So what we would do is we'd we'd have one column for like the label, like just drywall, but then we'd have an information like description column next to it um, to say replace drywall ABC areas or like repair everything to this level of finish right? Like be really specific because if you just put repair drywall legally, like that contractor would be like, I repaired the drywall over here. And they're like, well, what about the repair? What about the drywall over here? Right. Or, well, that didn't look like it needed to be repaired. And so be really specific in your descriptions in your scope of work. So that way, if, um, you know, you don't want to assume like every contractor is going to be a bad apple, but there are ones that will take advantage of you. And so, um, you need to make sure that you protect yourself in that verbiage. Um, yeah. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. 
It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let me let me ask one follow up question on the the scope work. I, I want to get into kind of the contract and the payment schedules. I guess this kind of ties into it. But are are you having? And Ash, I'm curious for you you as well. But are you having your contractors sign the scope of work before the job starts? Um, you know we. We've had some issues in the past with some contractors where they, you know, once I asked them to sign a scope work, they just like ghosted me, which is probably a good sign that we didn't work with them. Um, you know, but I guess like what what's your process for like holding like contractually the the contract the scope of work? Yeah, absolutely. So um my process is I create or I create the scope of work off my template that I've already used. I delete what they don't need. I make sure that the descriptions match what's actually needed on the project. And then I export that into an Excel and I have them bid right off of that Excel. Um, so they're going and filling in the line items for each amount. Yep. Okay. Filling in the line items. And to be honest, the contractors loved that because it saves their time. They don't have to type up a scope of work on their estimate because you're like, I want a detailed line item estimate. That creates so much work for them. And it might not be in the verbiage that you want. So we would control control the verbiage. And then at that point, they'd give us the Excel sheet back with it's their so numbers on it. so easy to compare it. then too. Then yeah. I could compare apples to apples. So I'd be able to make decisions quicker and, or I'd go back and then we'd talk about it. We'd, rene- we'd negotiate. That would also help me like on that scope of work template sheet. I also had my um, unit costs. Uh, so I could go and plug in quantities to create uh, a detailed budget. Um, I'd obviously delete that before I sent it over to them. (laughs) Um, but, uh, that would also help me understand, uh, how to change those numbers if I needed to, like if costs went up, labor went up or something, then, uh, that, that makes me be able to, uh, revise the template. So anyway, so I create the scope of work. Hold on, Serena, before you go on, I Mm want to like really highlight that as to how you are tracking what the going rate is for different labor in your area and in your market. And I, I actually remember, I don't, six months ago, a year or whatever, you had told me that you were working on updating everything because it, everything had changed so much in the yeah, market. Every months, you're right. like, I'm spending my today going More. through and actually updating pricing for, you know, what the painter costs per square foot and all these different things. And I, I think that is something very simple, that information to just start gathering as you're getting, you know, contractor estimates in for each project and just slowly, you know, keeping that information together. And it's just going to help you become better and better at building, you know, more accurate estimates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I just want to note, um, like, some of you might be thinking, oh, how do I budget like a unit cost, right? Because like, you know, carpet has a different unit than, um, you know, square footage for uh, paint or however, like they're going to, uh, the contractor is going to bid it out. Um, a great book to read is, um, estimating rehab costs by Jay Scott. Um, he like lines that all out, um, and how contractors, 
do their estimates. Um, and so, yeah, so that would really help is like I c- kind of controlled the format of that. So that way I can compare apples to apples and update my templates. So that way when I'm going through and confirming uh, during uh, underwriting, like that before we buy the property, um, I have the m- most accurate numbers that I can predict that I'm going to get when I finally get a, the estimate back from the contractors. Um, so, so then at that point, um, contract related, I have the scope of work in the Excel format with their numbers. We've agreed on it. Uh, and I'll save it as a PDF and I'll attach that to a contract that we have that lines out. Here's the property. Here's the owner. Here's the contractor that we're going to use. Here's the estimated, um, or here's the uh, deadline date that they're going to be finished with. Here's the deposit amount they're going to get. How they're going to get draws. Um, draws are uh, partial payments towards the total payment. And what happens if we want to split ways? Um, and then we'll also do a uh, penalty per diem, like 125 days uh dollars a day if they go over um, their completion date. And so all of that verbiage that we needed, you know, it's just a couple pages long contract. Um, And so I'd attach that PDF to that contract. And then I'd also attach our finished packet that I would create um, with all of the materials that we're going um, to use and for them to order. And then also if we have floor plans uh, as built, which is the existing floor plan and then the proposed floor plan. And I'll attach that all together in the same PDF and I'll have them sign the contract and initial each page of all of those pages. So that way it's binding. And um, and the best part is that the scope of work is in our verbiage. So we control anything. If there's any dispute on what, there's no miscommunication at that point. And to be honest, like what Tony said is like, he's had contractors that haven't wanted to sign that. Well, that's a red flag because Contractors should want to get into agreement where every, both parties are on the same page and they're happy with what they're signing and moving forward in a partnership. Yeah. Serena, so much gold there. Uh, everyone that's listening, you're probably gonna have to go back and like replay this episode a few times because there's so many nuggets in what, what, what Serena's saying here. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that last point you made about it being a red flag, 100% absolutely true. Um, I guess one, one last question. So, uh, you've got that all laid out, but in terms of actually paying out the contractor, are you walking the property with them to like say, hey, these milestones were met, uh, so I'm going to release this draw? Or, or like, how are you actually validating the work is done before paying them? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so different contractors require different deposits um, and payment schedules. So, if you're working with a general contractor, uh, we typically wouldn't give them more than 20% deposit. Um, and, uh, but that's not a hard rule. If they're built, if they're like have to purchase a lot of materials up front, um, and you can kind of look at your scope of work to determine that, say maybe they're like redoing all the siding, that's going to be a heavy, heavy upfront cost to them. Then, uh, then we might increase that a bit. Uh, but we would do draws on completion. And so we, our team, like what our process was is we'd walk the property at least once a week and we'd take full pictures, like at least a hundred, 150 pictures. Uh, and then we'd upload them into Dropbox. You can also do Google Drive and, um, and we'd review those pictures. So whether it was like me walking through and deciding, uh, the level, the completion and feeling then comfortable for them to 
next request a draw payment, um, then uh, then I would allow that, or I would I would do it from all of the pictures, so from afar, um, and then confirm. Okay, you know this completion seems about right, um, and uh, we would have them do equal draws um, for the remaining. And then if we had permits on the property. And so we needed to have final inspections. Typically, all the construction is going to be done. And then you have final inspections. The inspections might come back with corrections that are needing to be made, even if the scope of work is technically done. Uh, we would withhold about 10% until everything was finaled. Um, all the inspections were finaled. And so that way we had, we still had leverage over them, something to use. Cause if you pay them too much too fast, then, um, then you have no leverage. They, they'll just kind of, they'll just leave. Right. The other thing is that, uh, <laughs> anytime that you ha like have a contractor bidding, if you think that it's too low, then really consider that as well. Because we've had contractors that they were good contractors, but they didn't know how to estimate. Uh, and so sometimes we'd get things back and be like, this just doesn't seem right. This actually seems too low. And instead of going, woo, like we got, we got a deal. I just want to let you guys know that that can cause problems in the long run because they might run out of money halfway through your project. And if they run out of money, they're going to have to go find other jobs and work on other jobs and then let your job sit. And they may not even be able to ever come back. So just keep that in mind down the road. So you've mentioned a lot of things that you're doing to track this rehab for each project. Can you kind of go through like here's the different templates I have. And, you know, if you're you, the different softwares you're using, what are the things that rookies should be creating? Like you mentioned scope of work. What are some other types of templates they should be creating and use to work from for every single rehab from start to finish? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I'll go through our platforms first. So we always use drop box for our file storage. So what we would do is, um, and everything's a template. Um, we'd have the second that we're purchasing a property, we would go into Dropbox, create a, a folder for that project, and then have these same uniform folders for everything. We'd have our uh, analysis folder, which all of our acquisitions, our P&L sheet, anything having to do with the deal, the um, uh the uh, comps, right? Comps, P and L, anything that has to do with like the deal. Then we'd have our the purchase docs. Uh, we'd have our rehab folder. So all of our contracts are going to go in there. Our bids that we're going to collect, invoices, whatever. Then we have our rehab picks, and uh, in that folder we would label each time that we would drive the property and upload pictures. We'd label it the date, who took the pictures, and the uh, the um, status of construction that it was in. So it would be like, you know, April 1st, this date, Serena took the pictures and uh, electrical roughing completed. And so at that point, we could go back at, and go, all right, I'm trying to find, um, I need to see in the walls where at the end of the project, I need to go find like where an outlet is because it's hidden in the drywall. And so now I know instead of like sifting through like hundreds of folders of dates and stuff. I know, oh, electrical rough in right there. Um, 
And uh, that wasn't perfect from day one. I did that a lot until I realized maybe I should label these folders. Some the order organization, of right? But let me let me ask, just out of curiosity, is there a reason you went with Dropbox versus Google Drive? Honestly, Google Drive wasn't a big thing like eight years ago. So yeah, it was like, that's true. so it was, um, so because we started that process way back in the day. Um, and uh, so Google Drive works just as well. Um, so we'd have Dropbox. That's where all of the, our file storage, like, Anytime I got a bid, whether we used it or not, I put it in the bids folder. Um, every invoice, we put it in the invoice folder. Um, then we'd have a, also our plans. So that's where we'd keep our floor plans, finish packet, um, our uh, save scope of work. Um, and so that's one platform we'd use for our file storage. And all of our team members had access to it. Um, the other one is we use Smartsheets. Um, so smart sheets can be, you know, a bit pricey. Um, but if you plan on doing multiple projects, it's something to invest in. Um, that's where we would ha that's where we'd build our scope of work and budget template. So we had that, um, for those of you that don't know smart sheets, it's pretty much just like a really high tech Excel. Um, and then, uh, so we'd have our scope of work and budget template within that. Then we'd also have this sheet called our accounting hard costs. And that was pretty much it just an ongoing any expenses for that one property the second you purchase something the second that anything is paid it just goes in there um and so was this something that was then sent to a bookkeeper who actually like formally entered it into quickbooks yeah. or something okay exactly so our bookkeeper had access to that sheet and she would audit the accounts to make sure there wasn't any fraudulent activity and making sure it was all balanced and then she would then input that into quick uh, QuickBooks. Gotcha. Um, so she, yeah. she was using that spreadsheet to reconcile against like the, the bank statements or whatever to make sure that there weren't any transactions missing or anything like that. hundred percent. And then at that point, you know, our, our whole team at any point could be like, Hey, was this contractor paid? I don't need to go and call Nate Tarl for that or my assistant for that. I can just look it up and see if it's paid. Right. So a lot of these systems that we've created, these centralized information Places that that's what I like to call it limits the amount of time I have to communicate with my team members because the more time that we have to pick up the phone and call and we're waiting for information ever like just I never want so to talk time. to me and Tarl either I totally get it <laughs> <laughs> honestly at the end people are like do you talk to Tarl like all day every day and I'm like I haven't talked to him in like a week yeah. like we yeah. just wouldn't talk and we <laughs> so um and uh and so yeah so we have our scope of work and budget sheet. We have the accounting hard cost sheet. And then I also have a uh, finish package template. So the finishes um, are going to be, you know, the the types of doors, the door hardware, the countertop cabinet, tile design, whatever. And the same process as the scope of work, I just started as, you know, I need to make a template. Okay, I'm going to start with this project. And, and I'm going to put, okay, what it is, exterior door, where to get uh, what the description is, where to get it, and a picture of it. And then I'm just going to anytime we have a project, I'm just going to add this in to the template. Um, and so eventually, I just built this massive template of all of these materials. And I could just go shopping. Like a lot of times we would we would redo the same finishes on each house. So when I'm in the planning phase, and I've figured out what a scope of work is going to be. I've fin I've looked at the comps. I've figured out the level of finish that we need to, the, what type of materials we have to put into it. I'd pull up that sheet and I would just select what I wanted 
kind of, you know, going, quote, going shopping. And then I would export it into a PDF. And that's something that my team could reference, the contractors can reference, I can reference. Um, and that would be something that we'd also attach to that scope of work within the contract. Um, Serena, I've heard you talk about this sheet a ton of times. So Daryl and I actually built this out, the materials list. And one thing we did is that we would just link the actual product in there. So we did like flooring. Here's the type of flooring. We'd link it in there. Then we actually hired a virtual assistant to actually take the data from the link and actually fill out, you know, the other six columns or how many were they, there were. And that was so much faster. You. You're better than me. I didn't have at that. First, I didn't at first, myself. I was like, I cannot sit here and do this. Like, this is getting so <laughs> mundane. I'm like, this is awful. Like my fingers hurt. And so yeah. then we just did that. And it was, <laughs> it was, and it was so cost effective <laughs> and somebody could do it you know, way faster than me that has a better attention span, I guess. But um, yeah, you just go to like Upwork and, you know, search. This is what I need done. You show a screenshot of your template and, you know, do a, a Loom video of exactly how to pull the information, what information you want from each link and have it all filled out. Yeah. I also like keeping, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually should have had the, the link. I'll, I'm going to add the links to the product uh, within that PDF, because I used to put the pricing down in for each line item. Um, and then I'd give it to the contractor. But if I didn't have that pricing updated and they estimated right off that, and they're responsible for buying the material, but then they go to Home Depot and now it's gone up $10 per door hardware, they come back to me and they're like, I need more money. And now I'm like, well, shoot, that wasn't what was in the projection. And so I said, I'm going to delete all the pricing and they're going to have to just be responsible for looking it up. If I put the link in it, they could just click it and do their own like quicker research. Um, but yeah, that That's was, that was the thing. One like, piece don't put the price too. In. Yeah. That we struggled with is like, if it changes, you know, goes on sale or whatever, even like it's discontinued is like having to go. So like, maybe that's something even like hiring a VA, like every quarter to go in or whatever. And just like, all you have to do is make sure these links are updated. Yeah. That was one thing we would do periodically, like every couple of months is I'd my assistant go through and, um, and make sure like everything was, um, updated, um, on like the scope of work, like prices that, so I wouldn't put the prices on the finished packet. Cause that's what the contractor is referencing when they're estimating, but at least for, if there's a door unit cost on our scope of work budget um, and they've gone from two, 260 to 350, I, I want to know that. Um, so I'd have her do that. Serena, one, one question I want to ask was you, you've, you've got these systems dialed in uh, to, to really high level of detail. And I, I think one belief, maybe a limiting belief that a lot of people have when it comes to flipping homes is that you, you got to be there to, you know, walk the properties. You got to be there to shake the contractor's hands and make sure that you're checking on their work. Is that true? Or, or is it possible to kind of do this remotely as well? It's totally possible to do it remotely. Um, as long as you have boots on the ground that are driving the properties at least once a week. Um, so <clears throat> even if nothing changes in the rehab, um, say it's sitting there, we're waiting for permits to get processed. We will still drive it every week because you never know if squatters are going to show up. All of a sudden, a, a, a pipe's going to burst. It's going to whatever. You want to make sure that you also have pictures. If 
anything happens that you need to go to like court for, not to scare you guys, but like, you know, if someone breaks in and, and you need to file an insurance claim or something like that, you now have a record trail. Um, and, uh, and so the blessing, like the biggest blessing for being efficient in our business was the fact that both Tarl and I lived over an hour away from all of the projects that we did. So there was no way we we're going to drive two, maybe three hours in traffic to and from those projects every day or every other day. So we created these systems to be able to manage them afar. We'll go down once a week and we'll take pictures once a week. And then we trained our contractors that if they if they had a question, they text us a few pictures, they send us a video, or we FaceTime them, and we'll get them the information that they need. Um, and then we also made sure that we had boots on the ground in that area, networking, maybe like newer investors that wanted to learn, where if we really needed something, um, then they would help us out because we're also like contributing to and helping them grow their business. Um, the other thing is we'd also have like a handyman on call um, where, um, say say a basement all of a sudden starts flooding uh, and our contractor can't get there. That's on the job or it's not part of a scope. We just, we need to clean up like, you know, something after hours um, and they're just going to be too expensive to do it. Like they'll go and put bags and back it out or something like that. So, um, you know, in the beginning when we didn't have systems set up, like I was working six and a half days a week, like long, long freaking days. Um, but mainly on the computer. I'd only drive the properties once a week. And as you start setting up these systems, these templates, um, and uh and getting really good at the planning in the beginning to get the contractors all of the information that they need up front, then you're really just monitoring the construction as it goes along and problem solving little things that come up that were unforeseen um in the beginning. And so within the last few years, like I've spent, I've gone to South Africa for two months at a time while I have seven projects going on, for example, or, um, you know, I travel a ton at least once a month. And so you're not um, even home right now as you're doing this podcast. I'm not home right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, and so in having that freedom and that's honestly, that's why we got into real estate. Right. And so start today and building those systems, building those templates. And it's, like I said, they're not scary. Just start start putting information down on paper and then figuring out how you want to organize that. And if you're not the best at that, then hire a VA that is good at organization or, and then eventually lead up to hiring a team member that is. Um, and then um, I did realize that we didn't cover like another platform that we use. That's really important. Should I touch on that? So, so we have like Dropbox for our file storage and we have Smartsheet for all of our like data, like scope of work, costs, um, finishes, whatever. But then we used a uh, project management tool, like a communication. We use Asana. Um, so you can also use, I know Ashley used Monday.com, right? So very similar platforms. Um, and we would create again, a template surprise <laughs> for all of our projects. Um, and so when we, um, acquire a property, even actually there was a template for acquisitions too, making sure like, you know, you need A, B, C, D, like purchase things just, just to keep your like you have insurance in place. You, you got the electric right? meter, you know, who the electric company uh, is. Yeah. Account number. hundred like percent. Yeah. So we just created a, a pro, um, a template for project management. So 
Did we transfer the utilities in our name? Um, have we requested a bid from the general contractor? Have we done the floor plans? Have we done this or whatever? So that way, nothing goes missed. Uh, and then we'd also use Asana to communicate with each other. So instead of emails, texts, whatever, we would try our best to actually r- communicate with each other in that task that's related to that item. Um, and that worked really well for us. That That's also where, where we would uh, manage our schedule of construction. Um, and again, like build it to however works for you and your team. Um, and, uh, and if you kind of the way that we laid it out is in the order of construction, uh, chronological, how things needed. And that's, that's how it stayed organized for us. Um, but I think, I, yeah, I think that's pretty much all of our platforms. I mean, QuickBooks for the accounting. Um, what about for the, the rental properties that you guys keep? What, uh, software are you using for that? Um, I'll try to elaborate on that. I honestly don't do any of the property management at all. Um, but I do think, uh, is it Appfolio? Appfolio. I'm not sure. Um, actually for acquisitions, um, Nate, he would use Podio, um, as a CRM. Um, but I didn't, I was never in there. And then, um, yeah, I'm not sure actually what we use for their property management. Um, cause I, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> so. I guess before we wrap up, there's one last question we want to ask you, and that's if you had to start all over, what were what would be some of the first things that you would do today, starting completely over? I know this is a tough one. Um, I think start I mean, it. Start a new band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> start a new band. Um, honestly. I would, if you're out there really deciding like, okay, what asset class should I go into? Like, should I flip houses? Should I do short-term rentals? Should I do, you know, commercial or what should I do first? Like, um, at first consider the lifestyle that you eventually want. In the beginning, you're going to work your butt off, like wherever you go. Um, but imagine down the road, the lifestyle that you're want, do you like, what's the liquidity that you need, right? Do you need cash now consistently? Um, or, or are you able to keep your equity in like you're, you just want like a longer term hold? Um, I'd get really clear on that because wherever you go, whatever you decide to do, um, you should put your all into it to, to become the best at that before you pivot to something else. Um, and then, then you could also help to become clear of what you need for other people in your community. So really defining, just like you would define a buy box for a project, um, property that you want to flip, become like branded of like, this is what I'm after. So that way people know how to help you. So that when, and then also the type of mentor that you're looking for. Um, and like I said, like nowhere, no one got to where they got in this business without mentor. So, and people do want to help you. It's just that come to, come to them uh, first, go to meetups. And the simplest thing that comes to my mind is if there's like a house, if you want to get into house flipping, but you're like, I just need to see, to learn and, and I'll feel more comfortable. Just say, Hey, how many properties do you got going? Oh, cool. You've got eight projects going on. That's amazing. Would it be helpful for you if I drove your properties once a week, took pictures in an organized way. I'll take at least 150 pictures for you every week, upload them in the way that you want to be uploaded. So that way 
you have them, you can reference them and I maybe can take like a drive off, off your plate. Um, and then they're probably like, yeah, why not? Okay. Right. Like, um, and then, but then go, then would it be okay if, you know, if you're going to meet a contractor there, uh, can I just come along? I want to, you know, I'll be a fly on the wall. Can I just shadow you? Um, see, you know, what you guys talk about or whatever. And, um, and like real estate isn't hard, right? It's not rocket science. The hardest thing is, is having the courage, the grit, the gumption to do it. Right. And so by learning through familiarity, you're going to feel so much more comfortable in front and realizing like, this isn't actually rocket science. You see that it needs to be fixed. You write down that it needs to be fixed. You have someone give you an estimate of what's that going to be fixed, and then you decide yes or no, right? And so um, that that's where I start. Also, create systems from day one, so that way when you do end up amping up, um, and it, you need to add team members, the information's there, and it's not all in your head. Um, and um, and then if I would put healthy contingency margins, if you're not really uh, com- confident on your rehab costs and your analysis, just make sure you put, you know, some contingency in there. So you're not eating into your margin. Um, and always follow the comps, like don't get emotional or attached. So where can people find a consultant? (laughs) (laughs) But really, Serena, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time today to teach us all about this, your process. Like I could see, I know I was writing notes. I could see Tony taking down notes too, (laughs) because anytime we talk to you about this stuff that I always learn uh, so much information. So I'm sure every single listener has you know, at least five takeaways that they can put into action today. So where can everyone reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah. So um, on Instagram, uh, my handle is Serena.Claire. So S-E-R-E-N-A dot C-L-A-I-R-E. Um, also, you can email me, scalewithserena at gmail.com. Um, I love helping new flippers. Um and uh, people in real estate find their way. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Wednesday with another guest. We'll see you guys then. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there.
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.